This episode contains content not suitable for children. Listener discretion is advised. We begin with breaking news in Prosper ISD, where we just learned the school board president has been arrested. The district confirms Drew Wilborn is charged with indecency with a child. The 16-year-old getting up for food at the function when she saw the suspect rubbing against her. She returned to the food table a second time saying someone brushed up against her again and that she saw the suspect. This time, the 16-year-old could tell he was aroused. The court documents read. The story was almost too horrific to be true. Prosper ISD's school board president arrested for indecency with a child the same week he showed public support for a superintendent accused of silencing sexual assault victims. To me, the third case of alleged sexual assault by a Prosper ISD employee solidified the pattern. The district repeatedly chose to protect its reputation over students. But is that pattern only a Prosper ISD problem? Or are students at other schools across the state at risk from apathetic administrators? I'm Katie Marshall, and this is episode four of Exposed, the dark side of Texas schools. The administrators are always going to protect the machine. If you're going to place the responsibility of self-policing, self-regulating on the part of the school district, they can whitewash what's going on. And to think that it could happen in our own district, scary. The job of the administration is to protect the machine of the district. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have the right On January 25, 2023, Dallas police arrested Prosper ISD board president Drew Wilborn for indecency with a child involving sexual contact. Do you understand each of these rights I have explained to you? Less than a week prior, Wilborn and his fellow trustees voted unanimously to renew Superintendent Holly Ferguson's contract, despite local parents calling for her removal. As parents were reckoning with this decision, news of Wilborn's arrest broke. On April 12, 2022, a 16-year-old girl reported to police that Wilborn inappropriately touched her at a potluck dinner while he was working as an executive pastor at Antioch Fellowship Baptist Church. The complainant said she went to the table to see what food was available. The complainant said that she felt someone push up against her. The complainant stated that she moved and saw the suspect rubbing against her. The complainant said she did not think much about the incident and went to sit down. The complainant said she waited for the crowd to clear before approaching the table again to get food. The complainant stated that when she went back, no one was around her. The complainant said someone brushed against her again and saw the suspect. The complainant stated that there was plenty of space to walk around her. The complainant stated the suspect rubbed his erect penis against her butt over her clothing. The complainant stated after the incident, the suspect gave her an unwanted hug, grabbed her waist, and did not let her go. Investigators in the Dallas Police Department's Child Exploitation Unit uncovered several additional instances of misconduct committed by Wilborn. The witness stated that shortly after being hired, her supervisor switched and she worked under the suspect, 
Executive Pastor Andrew Wilborn. The witness stated while employed, the suspect began harassing her. The witness said that the suspect called her baby mama. The witness stated she felt uncomfortable around the suspect and that he would send her text messages. The witness said the suspect tried to kiss her and rub her feet on one occasion. In a statement released after Wilborn's arrest, Antioch Church said they immediately notified police about the allegations in April of 2022 and suspended Wilborn during the police investigation. However, they fired Wilborn after his arrest. After being booked into the Dallas County Jail, Wilborn resigned from his position as board president. Following Wilborn's resignation, the district released a statement in an attempt to alleviate parents' fears and concerns. Neither the Prosper ISD Board of Trustees nor district administration knew anything about the allegations against Mr. Wilborn until the afternoon of Wednesday, January 25th, 2023, after he was arrested. We feel the same shock as our community. The remaining members of the Board of Trustees want to reassure our community that we are determined to move forward together to reestablish the trust that our community deserves. Our children deserve the best from us so that they can see the best in themselves. As Prosper ISD once again found itself in hot water, Joshua ISD, the same district where Marina Salcedo faced pushback when advocating for her son, came under fire for failing special needs students. We moved here from Los Angeles in 2008. Before we picked our home, my husband is a, like a serious research type dude. So he went and um, looked up the schools and their records um, and such before we even picked an area to look for. Uh, we wanted to put our kids in the best situation possible. And there was two top schools that we liked and Joshua was one of them. What is a school accountability rating? It is an overall reflection of how well students in a school are supported academically, how that school is progressing, and whether that school is closing achievement gaps. Much like the grades we give students, A through F ratings are used to tell us how well we are helping students reach grade level and how well we are preparing them for post-secondary success. When parents search for Joshua ISD on the Texas Education Agency's school ratings website, they find that the district has an A ranking with a total score of 91 out of 100. This categorizes the district as one of the best in the state, a place where parents can send their children and be insured of a quality education. This was certainly the case for Amanda Cotto and her family. But like Marina Salcedo, Amanda would soon discover that the accountability rating doesn't paint a complete picture of what's happening inside a school district. For a time, the Kodos were happy with Joshua ISD. They liked the teachers and administrators and felt like their son, Brady, who was in the special needs program, was in safe and capable hands. However, after a new principal arrived at Brady's middle school, Amanda and her husband found themselves at odds with the school's leadership. We bumped heads a little bit in the beginning. She is the one who told me if I didn't like how things were going with Brady that I should pull him from our school. And she said it in kind of a, a patronizing kind of tone. It was, oh, Amanda, if you're, you know, I, I, if you really don't feel comfortable with him being here, please, please just take him out of the school. I, I wouldn't want you to feel uncomfortable. 
The administration also encouraged Amanda to move her son to a new middle school in the district with an extensive special needs program, only to be told weeks before the new school year started that the district had run out of money for the project. Amanda pointed out that a few years prior, the district passed a $50 million bond dedicated to improvements. So two weeks before middle school started for my son, uh, I get this phone call. Oh, gee, shucks. You know, there wasn't enough money. Uh, what do you mean there was no money? <laughs> we just approved the bond. It's just $50 million. Uh, there's no there's no program for Brady there. He's going to have to go to the old school. But don't worry, Amanda. Don't worry. You don't want him in a new school where there's, there's bugs to be worked through. Although Brady enjoyed going to school, Amanda and her husband noticed that his academic skills were declining and worsened during the COVID-19 pandemic when Joshua switched online classes. Brady loved the school, you know, he, he had no problem going to school, but he never learned anything. So when he left NJE, he was only a couple months educationally behind his peers. And by the time he left Laughlin, he had reverted back to maybe second grade. And then we went into the, the shutdown in March and everything just kind of went to hell. When he comes back in to the ninth grade campus, um, they're virtual. And first they have him tracing letters and numbers like he would be in pre-K. And half the time they would have him log in, the stuff wouldn't work. So he would start smashing the computer because out of frustration and we just, we pulled the plug. Amanda also said that school officials forgot to provide her son with necessary speech therapy. According to her, the district did not disclose this. Amanda found out when she called the school to ask if they could conduct Brady's therapy over the phone instead of in person. She said once the district returned to in-person education, Brady's special needs education teacher was assigned 24 students and not enough paraprofessionals to help keep an eye on everyone. This left some in the class watching movies instead of learning, so the teacher could keep control of the classroom. And when Brady stopped eating and lost 83 pounds, the district took no notice even as his parents plied him with protein shakes. They continued ignoring Brady's physical therapy needs as well, to the point that he regressed in toilet training. However, the Kodo's problems weren't just relegated to worries about academic and life skills declining. They also had concerns about who was tasked with caring for the special needs students. I had a diagnostician at JISD once tell me, because he was having trouble getting on the bus, and she said, to this day, when I move my hand fast by my son, I've hit him in the head so many times that he ducks still. Maybe you should try hitting Brady in the head. I'm like, did this lady just suggest that I hit my special needs son in the head? I'm looking around like, is there no adult in this room that can stop this crazy old lady from talking? The Kodos say that special needs students at Joshua, including their son, are being neglected in favor of building up the school's extracurricular activities. He got dumped with also rants, you know, ex-substitutes uh, and, and fired teachers and, you know, then again a, a substitute. Like, he, he just got nothing from the school district because Nichols never even set up a special needs program. $50 million bond they could build an ag barn for $7 million, which definitely didn't cost $7 million. They built a field house for junior high school football. Like, I get it's Texas, but junior high school dudes don't need a field house. But they couldn't set up a special needs program. So 
he basically got left in the dust. They lost our five-year-old nephew one day. Um, he had gotten on a bus. It was his first day of school. He was in kindergarten, and nobody cared to know that there was a five-year-old that didn't know that he wasn't supposed to get off at the first stop. Well, the first stop is right next to a major road where people do 55 miles an hour on it. In fact, it's such a fast road that they won't even put a school crossing, even though it's right next to the school, because they don't want kids going across it because it's so fast. But our, our nephew was found wandering next to a major highway where cars are doing 55 miles an hour. It's so lucky that Good Samaritan found him because uh, I think we all know how that could have gone bad. He could either try to play Frogger or he could have got kidnapped. But a Good Samaritan found him and he'd been missing for 45 minutes before they found him. I asked Amanda what the district's response was to their bus driver losing a small child next to a busy street. And her response also fit another pattern that I noticed playing out across a few school districts. The district giving concerned parents an apathetic non-response when they bring up an issue. The equivalent of a pat on the back and a, hey, maybe we'll get it right next time. Yeah, that the assistant superintendent that they put us in front of after they lost our nephew, he, he was appalled, but he's like, you know, shucks, nothing I can do. I wasn't here for it, but moving forward, I can help. And he didn't help at all. He was completely useless. According to the CODOs, the tendency of administration and leadership at Joshua ISD to avoid problems instead of owning up to their own mistakes only hurts the students. The CODOs' frustrations with the school district continued building as Brady went through middle school and suffered increasingly heartbreaking declines in his academic and life skills, partially due to a lack of support and therapies at school, according to his parents. Amanda's husband reported that when he brought up potential issues involving his son's care while in meetings with school administrators, he was met with empty niceties that never resulted in change or improvement for Brady. And no offense, but I hate that lawyer speak where everybody has to pretend to be nice and pretend that something exists that doesn't exist. So they were doing all that stuff and doing all this nice, fake talk when I've been watching at home him going back downhill because they don't care enough to get their together. When I asked the Kodos why they thought Joshua ISD could continue failing special needs students without repercussions, they said that the school board and former superintendent Fran Merrick worked to keep dissenting voices quiet. Their kids would not make it onto squads, if you opposed them and you, you know, uh, were a parent volunteer, you no longer volunteered, they wouldn't need you anymore, or your, your child, you know, would all of a sudden not get student of the year kind of things that, you know, we knew whose kids would never make it on student of the year because it was anybody who opposed the school. When I asked them why they kept Brady at Joshua ISD for so long, they said that their first few good years at the district gave them hope that things would eventually improve. Because. Honestly, in retrospect, because our experience for the first five years was so good, 
with Brady, we let that bad experience for the next five years linger. We we kept thinking that they would do the right thing and that they would turn it around because our experience was so good the first five years, and we let it go too long. We just we they never did it. They never gave it. They never made it better. And now we can't get those years back. And he may he may never fully recover from what happened to him. We were staring down the barrel of him being living independently one day. It was, you know, pretty locked in. And now I don't even see that that's a possibility. My first talk with the Kodos painted a disheartening picture of how Joshua ISD responds to student safety issues. The way administration and Joshua discouraged dissent reminded me of how Prosper and Round Rock treated parent concerns. With that in mind, and taking into account Marina Salcedo's experience with the district, and her concerns that her son wasn't well protected, I sat down for a second time with Amanda and asked her if she thinks Texas government schools are incentivized to protect students or to protect their reputation. 100% protect their reputation. From what I gather, the school boards go to seminars on how to stick together and not to allow outside influences dissuade them from you know just sticking together. And how is that a fair and equal board? It's just not. It's not remotely fair and equal. The Kodos have since removed Brady and enrolled him in a different school district. After my discussion with Amanda, I wanted to find out if she was onto something, if school board members who are supposed to work for students and their families are directly told in official trainings to instead look inward for support and confirmation. All but one of Texas's 1,024 school districts are members of the Texas Association of School Boards, a statewide lobbying group for school boards. In 2013, a group of citizen activists estimated that school districts across the state were sending TASB more than $100 million a year in dues, enough money to fund 2,300 teachers. So what does this group really do? According to its website, TASB represents school district interests. The group is opposed to measures that would increase transparency and voter participation in local elections. They also sell training programs for school board members. These programs use language that belittle concerned parents, calling them cyber terrorists, malcontents, and cave people, which stands for Citizens Against Virtually Everything. TASB also hosts education conferences, where school districts can pay to send their school board members for professional development and training. One education conference TASB co-sponsored in September 2022 featured a presentation entitled Controversies in the Classroom, which promised to teach attendees strategies they can use when responding to, quote, challenges to instructional resources to complaints about social studies curriculum categorized as critical race theory. Attendees were also warned that dissatisfied parents may look to homeschooling or vouchers if their concerns are not addressed. But are TASB members really being taught to ignore parents and concerned citizens in favor of sticking together and protecting themselves? Well, that September 2022 TASB conference also hosted another workshop. This one entitled, From Disruption to Engagement, 
through the Prosper ISD School Board Promise. Prosper trustees Bill Beavers and Deborah Smith and Superintendent Holly Ferguson presented the session. The workshop claims, quote, Prosper ISD trustees found themselves in disbelief about the level of disruption at school board meetings and ongoing attacks on social media regarding the district's work. Attendees were called to learn how the board, along with the superintendent and key leadership, committed to reconnecting with the community and creating a story of impact through an initiative called the Prosper Promise. The conference took place only one month after the news of the bus driver's sexual assault case broke and four months before board president Drew Wilborn was arrested for indecency with a child. Welcome back for another edition of A Few Minutes with Dr. Ferguson. This week I'm going to talk about the Prosper Promise. I want to remind everyone, we are Prosper, we are one. Less than a month after Wilborn's arrest, the Prosper School Board held a meeting to decide if they would appoint Wilborn's replacement or set up a special election so citizens could choose his replacement. Hi, my name is Shelley Creel. Um, I have a student at Prosper High School. I'm urging the Prosper Independent School District to allow the newly vacated seat uh, seven to be an elected instead of appointed position. Based on previous history of the board, we do not trust you to appoint another person as the one that you appointed as president was just arrested. And you all have the ability to hold an election. You also have the ability to make the appointment. Appointment's not the right thing to do. I had something written, but I'm just gonna tell you from my heart. I really care. And I really see that so many people are hurting. And I do pray that you guys would give us the right to vote on who replaces place seven. I really do. I think it's the right thing. And I hope that you guys make that decision. Okay, so agenda item 6C is consideration and possible action regarding filling the vacancy for place seven. Do I have a motion? Uh, yes, Trustee Smith. Uh, I move that the board order a special election on May 6 to fill the vacancy in place seven within the timelines established under state law. Okay, is there a second? Second. Okay, hearing none, the motion fails without a second. Do we have another motion? Yeah, I have another motion. I move that the board wait until May and allow the next board to fill the vacancy by appointment. Okay, is there a second? I'll second that. Okay, Bill, all in favor? Any opposed? One. Motion passes. I didn't think it was possible to lose more faith in our school board members. They proved me wrong. In the final episode of Exposed, The Dark Side of Texas Schools, we'll find out if there's any way to fix the system and make sure students are protected, or if government education in Texas is forever broken. The relationship started in third grade. He would take my shoes off and he would nibble my toes, like kisses on my belly button area. The Exposed Podcast is a production of Texas Scorecard. Texas Scorecard is the leading news source for government and culture. Go to texasscorecard.com 
today. This episode was written and hosted by Katie Marshall with audio engineering by Drew Cook and edited and produced by Walker York.